right. Good morning. You are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. That was a song by Beattie Wolf, Simply Friends. And standing by to kick off the show is Beattie Wolf. She's a pioneering artist. I met her at the She Rocks Awards. And her bio and pictures are up on my show blog, getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. And she's with us right now. Good morning. Hey. Hey. You know, I met you briefly at the She Rocks Awards, and we have a little we had a little conversation. But I thought, you know, you have such an intriguing background in what you do. Um, could you tell me how you got into what you're doing now? You do all these innovative things with uh, music. Yeah, I mean, so it's funny because to me, it just always seemed very obvious. You know, I grew up writing songs as a kid um, and just falling in love with you know songwriting and storytelling, and every form of storytelling. And a big part of that was the discovery of physical records and being able to open those up and read them like, you know, like a musical book. Yes. Um, and having all of the components, the tangibility, the story of the album, and the ceremony of listening. Um, so from the time I was seven or eight, I was imagining, you know, what world would I create for my albums? What would mm -hmm. they look like? What would they feel like? And then I grew up and everything that I loved, you know, all the physical, uh, the physical music experience had been replaced by the digital. And obviously there were some benefits and yes. some great things about that. But I felt like we'd lost quite a lot in the process. And so what I tried to do is think, well, how could you combine the best of the old and the best of the new? And essentially... Uh, reimagine the vinyl experience, but for today. And so that's go ahead. Yeah, so that's really what I've been doing ever since. Uh, when we met, you were telling me how your parents influenced you with their musical taste. Yeah, I mean, I think so. Both my parents um, are very wonderful and curious human beings. Mm -hmm. um, they, I, I grew up with my mom. Uh, my mom and dad you know, split up when I was a baby. But both of them had their own music history that I actually didn't know about until I was much older. My really? mom had done this book on punk rock and this documentary film in 77 on the British scene, which was basically wow. like the definitive book and documentary about what was happening in the UK. Um, and my dad uh, originally came over to the UK with the Stones. He was actually from you know, from the States, Amazing. and he was a troubadour and, uh, you know, poet, lyricist. And the first place he lived in the UK was um, Stargroves, and he was meant to, you know, go back after that, but he, he never did. So there's this sort of interesting thing with both of them that they never told me that. I kind of discovered both the punk side and, and what my dad had experienced um, very randomly when I was much older. So, but so the reason I say that is because they had a very interesting record collection. <laughs> that you kind of delved into when you discovered their backstories? Yeah, I mean, I, as a kid, like those, you know, that kind of music spoke to me anyway. So it wasn't, I didn't know uh, why it spoke to me. It was just the, the kind of music that I really loved. Um, and then when I was older and, you know, there's a particularly strong memory and, story around this. I was in the car with my dad playing uh, Sympathy for the Devil, and he was turning it down, and I was turning it <laughs> up. And I thought that he only listened to classical music, and 
you know, couldn't stand rock and, you know, just didn't identify with any of that kind of stuff. And um, it got to the end of the song and he goes under his breath, there is a line in this song about me. And I remember just like jumping out of my skin and just (laughs) thinking like, who's this person? But, you know, and then with my mom's punk stuff, it was only when I was in New York being interviewed for my first, you know, big thing over there, which was around this 3D theater for the palm of your hand, which was my first innovation. And the guy who was interviewing me had found a, a copy of this book which had become rare and collectible mm-hmm. um and you know one of the first things he said was like oh my god mom's book is incredible and i was like what are you talking about you had no idea. <laughs> i never i never realized until that point that she'd done anything like that so both both of them it was interesting because it was definitely part of my growing up but more by osmosis and then actually mm-hmm. Later on, I discovered, like, wow, these two people had very different lives, you know. Do you feel like in some way they built the foundation for who you are? Yeah, definitely. You know, I think I think both, you know, my mom, my dad, my older brother, um, you know, actually me and my older brother worked together a lot. Um, and I think the unique factor or the... The similarity with all all four of us Mm -hmm. is that we've always done our own thing, you know. So with both my mom and my dad, they kind of built their own career, um, and so did my brother. You know, he built this incredible design company. So I think that sort of spirit of independence and, you know, walking to the beat of your own drum um, is definitely within the family and that was a you know a great encouragement um for me to do what i wanted to do um and and also i think that just you know the fact i didn't know about the punk stuff or my dad's stones connection (laughs) and you know he was also part of the uh cassidy kenkizi crew when he was back in uh california and so these things that most other people would would sort of brag about or, you know, talk about it on any occasion. Like, they never really mentioned. Um, So there's also something there with just, um, I don't know, just like Mm. being kind of, you know, just downplaying things and and taking people by the content of who they are and not getting caught up in, you know, being impressed because someone is, influential or a a big star you know neither neither of my parents were ever like that yeah well that's great that's great um what's interesting is that you have this level of uh empowerment and resilience you know the name of my show is get the funk out and Mm. and the reason being is because we all go through ups and downs and i'm always curious like what people do to take care of themselves and stay resilient it sounds like what you do has been very uplifting for you at times. Oh, yeah. I mean, the each project um, in its own way brings me you know, a ton of joy. I mean, mm-hmm. I could, I would be doing that stuff regardless of whether anyone was interested. It, it really inspires me and, and it sort of, I feel like it keeps me alive just doing those kind of explorations. Um, and that was something that I 
felt as a kid, you know, I'd be spending all my time coming up, making up plays or radio shows or <laughs> songs, whatever it was. And I never wanted to stop doing that, you know. And I That's think great. as kids, we're uh, very curious. We're very, um, you know, the, we're, the question is always, well, why not? And I never wanted to let go of that. Why not? That's so, great. Well, I think, you know, as we get older, a lot of people lose their sense of wonder and creativity, and it's so important to have that as you get older. I completely agree. Um, I think a lot of the time that happens because of fear and, you know, and some of that's down to the school system and being told that you're either artistic or you're scientific, and I don't really believe in any of that stuff. I think, you know, yeah. we can be multiple things, and... And what is unique about us is our own voice, you know, and what we have to say. But I think a lot of the time people can get, you know, they can get sort of um, discouraged and feel like they have to regurgitate someone else's ideas. And, you know, that's very much part of education. So I think it's about keeping that spark of, you know, what excites you and what makes you, uh, you know, passionate and what you feel you have to say. I think it's about keeping that alive. Yes. Well, um, this is a funny question I just thought of, but what was it like um, when you were younger at school? Were you, were you bored because you had this creative mind, or were you tuned into school? I fucking hated school. Oh, wait, wait, you, you can't <laughs> Sorry, I don't well, you, know if I... I wait, you I, can't I swear. <laughs> no swearing. Okay, I'm sorry. But I get it. I, no, I, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I didn't, I didn't I get, it. Um, get it. That's what I... Th- I didn't yeah. get it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, the reason I ask is because you mentioned intelligence, and there are so many different types of intelligence, and I feel like I was a terrible student when I was younger, and I bombed the standardized test, but I always say it's not a prediction of anything. You can be creative and so smart on other levels. Don't let that tell you where your life is going to lead. I completely agree, and I think the best example of realizing that lesson um, was when I was doing, you know, my dissertation on Leonard Cohen, Mm -hmm. and it was just before he'd had his sort of revival, um, you know, when he'd gone back on tour after all that had happened, you know, know, he lost his money and that whole situation. Um, And I was a very, you know, creative university, like an art college, basically, and I said I wanted to write about Cohen, and um, from the whole English department, I, you know, I was told it would fail. Um, there was nothing worthy about his his writing. Oh, come on, uh, he he <laughs> couldn't be considered as you know part of the literary canon, um, and yeah, and I couldn't have a supervisor. And if I did it, you know, it would be um, it would be education suicide. And I, mm. of course felt like, okay, well, I've now got to do it. And yeah. and that paper ended up getting, uh, you know, the, the best mark in the year, and then it was published online. And Fantastic. And Leonard Cohen actually ended up reading it, which then opened up this whole uh, sort of dialogue with his, you know, with him and his team. And it was just the best, it was the best lesson in realizing you can do something to get over just that next hurdle You know, so people are saying, okay, if you write about Joyce, you know, you'll probably definitely get, you know, a good mark. Mm -hmm. Or you can do something that you're passionate about 
that is infused with so much energy because it's something you want to talk about and it's something you see value in. And that can connect you with so much beyond that one obstacle. Um, And that lesson, you know, really stayed with me. And I think that's what has allowed me to do these projects where a lot of the time, you know, they're seemingly impossible. And it's like, no, you know, if it doesn't work, if it fails, it's okay, that's part of it. But It's a good outlook. Yeah, yeah, and those tentacles can be so far-reaching in terms of, what that can lead you to next, just by following what excites you. Yes. Now, let's talk about some of the things you have done. You um, you beamed music into space. How did that come about? Well, <laughs> on, on one level, I don't know. <laughs> on, an, on another level, um, I'd done a, an anti-stream for my third record after these other different explorations around what an album could look like. Um, which were sort of relating to digital downloads being the main medium. When we got into streaming, I wanted to do the opposite. I wanted to create what I thought was the antithesis of, of that. Mm-hmm. So I, I set a record player up in the quietest room on Earth, which was the Bell Labs Anechoic Chamber, where Helen Keller experienced silence for the first time. And this record player was playing the album on repeat 24 hours for a week, People could log in via the 360 cameras and couldn't shuffle, couldn't fast forward, but then using live animation, the lyrics would be streaming out of the vinyl, the artwork would be surrounding you. Wow. It was like this whole Fantasia experience for the album. Um, so that was Raw Space. That was mm-hmm. my third album. And the title of, of the record was not based on space uh, in terms of, you know, up there. Right. It was based on this, anechoic environment this this raw chamber that had the rawest sound and the rawest silence i'd ever experienced but um somehow robert wilson and i so robert wilson was the scientist who won the nobel prize for discovering cosmic microwave background which essentially uh which he did with this horn antenna which then proved the validity of the big bang theory so he and I met in front of the horn antenna, mm-hmm. and I said to him, you know, you've used this to receive, but have you ever used it to transmit? And he was like, well, no. <laughs> and I was like, well, in theory, could you, you know, say transmit an album into space using this um, antenna? And he's like, well, the sound waves will get to a point in the Earth's atmosphere, and then they'll stop. So, okay. you know, No. So I kind of thought that was the end of the conversation. And about a month later, I get an email from him saying, uh, BC, I figured it out. You know, <laughs> do you still want to do uh, the space broadcast? You know, I can do an update on the horn antenna. Mm-hmm. And this is a national historic landmark. So I couldn't believe it. And, this, you know, it was a Amazing. total whimsical experiment. You know, I loved the idea of, Sending this record that had been that had come from the quietest place on earth, yes. with no EQ, no reverb, no audio enhancements of any kind, like the rawest sound at a time of all this AI and airbrushing. I just love the idea of sending that out into space, it's incredible, into the rawest space. So he and I did, you know, the space uh, beam mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, and you know, then he'll 
he'll update me on where my music is today. <laughs> so <laughs> the last time I checked in, it was um, halfway on its way to Proxima Centauri. Um, oh so. Amazing. I want to mention, I looked um, this up, and um, you spent some time at Bell Labs, and that's where the, um, I might mispronounce this, it's Anno Echoic. How do you pronounce it? It's no echo. Anechoic. Anechoic. Yeah. No echo, which what it means. No echo, world's quietest rooms. Yes, exactly. So, you know, Bell Labs, um, it, just for those who don't know, like they, you know, they invented the transistor, they invented the telephone, mm-hmm. uh, they invented the foil microphone, all these different, um, you know, all these different incredible inventions. And this room which I, you know, I love the idea of it being the place where Helen Keller experienced silence for the first time because that's such a powerful, um, you know, it's just such a powerful statement. But Mm -hmm. then also the whole Anna Kirk chamber was, was, it's a a room that is core to our understanding of audio. So it's where psychoacoustics, rogue frequencies, all these huge discoveries were made. And... You know, a lot of people go into that space and freak out because they can hear the blood rushing through their veins. So the wow. engineers would have to um, work in the chamber in installments, you know, and, mm-hmm. and sort of constantly go out for a few minutes or something. But um, I didn't have that reaction. I just completely loved being in there. And the first time I went in there, I ended up spending a few hours and just playing music and listening to how music sounded and also realizing how much noise we have around us because we do you know in a space like that it's the most absolute silence and Mm -hmm. suddenly you realize we are bombarded you know with all these different notifications and you know things grabbing at our attention and music has become part of that background chatter Um, And so that was, you know, I knew that ceremony was always really important within each of these innovations. You know, the three things that I identified as being key were tangibility, storytelling, and ceremony. How Mm -hmm. do you find a way of bringing those three things back into music experiences today? Um, And so, like, with that chamber, it was the ultimate ceremonial listening space. So it just immediately worked for this idea of the anti-stream. Let me just interject for a second. If you're just tuning in, we've been chatting with Beatty Wolf, and her bio is on my show blog, getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. She's a pioneering ar- uh, artist. You call yourself a musical weirdo and visionary. I disagree. Well, I don't, I don't know about I don't that. call myself that, but someone called me really? that. And I actually, uh. Yeah, and I actually <laughs> think that it's, it's perfect because... You know, it it was always this question of, what well, are you a musician or are you a technologist or are you, like, you know, a traditional artist? And, and so I felt like, you know, I think it was Vice or something that said musical weirdo and visionary. <laughs> and I just thought, okay, that's actually great. That okay, sums it up. you embrace that. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. And so how did you feel when you heard that Wired Magazine named you one of the 22 people changing the world? I was very honored, um, you know, surprised. Yeah. Uh, I guess I 
you know, as we've been talking about, I just, I just do what I love and what I believe is important. And I think, you know, with the digitalization of music and a lot of other mediums, we, you know, we gained access, but we also lost value. Mm -hmm. And, and we also sort of displaced curation in some ways. So I, you know, I feel like it's just really important for people to be reminded that music and art are core to our humanity. You know, I have this yeah. separate music and dementia research project that I began a number of years ago, which was then recently turned into a charity and, and picked up by Stanford along the way. And, um, you know, when you've seen what music can do on, like, the deepest level, when it's working as a medicine in so many situations, you just have a, a profound respect for it. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel like that's kind of core to, you know, everything that I'm creating is this sense of the value of art and music. You did a documentary about the power of music with people that have, um, I believe, dementia or, or Alzheimer's or both. How did that come about? Well, so it was, it was really a research project, which then um, we captured some of the reactions to. Um, and it, you know, it came about because I'd read about the work of Oliver Sacks, this neurologist who showed the power of music uh, as, a, as a scientist across, you know, autism, schizophrenia, Parkinson's, dementia. I was so moved by what he had done and what he was showing. Um, and then I found out, you know, I, my grandma then had, I found out she had dementia and then another relative in my family. And so I just thought, well, when I next see them, I'll play to them. You know, I'll take my guitar and I'll see if, if it has any effect. And, um, and that sort of snowballed into, you know, me seeing some pretty incredible things and uh, then just wanting to take that further. So when, um, when I was back in the UK after these various trips, uh, together with, you know, care home provider and uh, foundation and, uh, you know, various doctors and nurses, like I did a research tour looking at how music can help people with dementia. But mm -hmm. this was a new study. It was the first time that um, it was music that was unfamiliar to those residents because up until that point, familiar music had been used and that could trigger a memory and sort of bring someone back, but people had never tested music outside of memory just for music's sake. Right. So that was the unique factor of this study. And... You know, and some of those responses, which were just incredible, I mean, the most profound reactions to music I've ever seen, uh, someone who was catatonic, getting up and dancing, uh. someone who was nonverbal, singing along to songs she'd never heard. And, um, you know, that was, the, that was the film part of it, so that, that some of those performances were filmed. Um, and that, you know, then became uh, this big sort of, you know, breakthrough study, which I thought was really, I don't know, I, I had no idea it was going to go that far. And then, mm -hmm. you know, Stanford picked it up, American Alzheimer's Association picked it up, and then recently it was formed into this charity in the UK, which is now 
actively getting music in all care homes in the UK by the end of this year. It's so important what you did. Amazing. So we do have to wrap up, but where can people find out more about you? Well, thanks to my parents, and now you know a bit about them. They mm-hmm. gave me a, a very um, <laughs> curious name, which <laughs> there's, no other, there's no other BT Wolf out there. So just socials, website, you know, anything, uh, anything you want to find out more, it's B-E-A-T-I-E. W-O-L-F-E. You know, it's funny. I was going to ask you if that was your real name because it's so fitting. Thank you. <laughs> so yeah, fitting. it is. It's perfect. We can listen to a song as we wrap. Is there one in particular that you'd like me to play? Oh, yeah. How about Little Moth? Okay, let me, let me just find it. I'm going to find it right now as we're talking. And so this, this song was um, yes. a tribute to the singer-songwriter Elliot Smith. Um, and Little Moth is an anagram of his name. Perfect. So we'll, we'll yeah. uh, do this. And uh, thank you so much for calling in. It was so nice meeting you at the She Rocks. And I'll have this up on my show blog within an hour. Wonderful, Janine. And uh, thanks for the fantastic conversation. Absolutely. All right. You be well. Talk to you soon. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. That was B.D. Wolf calling in. And if you want to find out more about her, all the info is on my show blog. Get the funk out show org. I want to mention I am on Twitter at moms, M O M Z underscore rock. KUCI is on Twitter, KUCI FM. We're on Instagram, KUCI FM, Tumblr, blog, org, And we're on Facebook at KUCI889. So we're going to wrap up with a song called Little Moth. This is Beatty Wolf. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. <laughs>